for God to speak to us this morning from James chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. So there was a preacher who was feeling really good about the sermon that he had preached on that Sunday morning. He was thinking if he keeps preaching like this, it's going to launch him to a bigger and better place. He and his wife went to lunch. He's expecting that she's going to say something to him about how well he did. She fails to comment. So finally he says, how many really great preachers do you think there are in this country? She thought for a moment and then with a sly smile said, I think exactly one less than you're imagining. Not autobiographical, no, <laughs> not happening at our lunch. But. This morning we're reading the scripture from James, and we find James addressing envy and selfish ambition. Now ambition can be a good thing, it can fuel us to do grand and glorious things, it can fuel us and compel us to do great things for others and to serve greatly, but that's not what James is talking about. James adds some modifiers. He adds selfish to ambition. And then when he talks about envy, he adds bitter envy. Listen again as he describes what he wants his people to stay away from. He says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. And then in verse 16, he goes on with, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. As you read through the letter of James, you can tell that he has strong feelings. He is a person of passion, and he's trying to instruct these early Christians on the way to go. He wants them to have nothing to do with envy or selfish ambition. He wants them to have none of that. He wants them to go in a different way. Bishop Robert Snazy, before he was a bishop and before he came to speak for us as our lecturer in 2019, wrote a book called Ambition in Ministry. I want to read you a few of the lines he writes. He says, if pride or selfish ambition is our excessive preoccupation with our own accomplishments, possessions, abilities, or honor, then envy 
describes our excessive preoccupation with someone else's accomplishment, possessions, abilities, or honors. Through the eyes of envy, we peer longingly at the grass that seems so much greener on the other side of the fence. What belongs to another inspires our hunger and sometimes our hatred. Envy is the writhing inside, the internal outcry, the reflexive response inside us provoked by something out there. It ties our spirit and our happiness to what happens in someone else's life, especially another's successes or acquisitions. It's not that we need those things, but that they have them. That's what sets our emotions and impulses swirling. There is always someone, somewhere, who has more, who does better. Insatiability is the essence of envy, and envy is a sorrow we feel. It is the opposite of charity, since charity rejoices at a neighbor's good fortune, but envy grieves it. Dr. Roberta Bondi was another one of our Martin Clinton Gordy lecturers several years ago. She's written a book, To Love As God Loves, In there, she tells the story about a woman who has a neighbor who seems to be prettier, richer, and younger. She seems to have it all. She has a wonderful marriage. She seems to have a perfect family. Life just seems to come so easy to her. And Dr. Bondi says, in comparison, she's middle-aged, poor, frumpier. She says she wants to be a good neighbor. She wants to be a kind and caring neighbor. But she feels from time to time this envy welling up within her. She said one day she heard the gossip that was going around the neighborhood that this woman's marriage was on the rocks. She said she didn't want to savor that information, but that she had to admit there was a little bit of satisfaction that she felt inside she said she found herself thinking finally she gets to know what the rest of us deal with finally she has to deal with the emotional turmoil I've dealt with my whole life but she says she still wanted to be the kind and caring neighbor but then she writes these words that envy makes me see her through a haze made up of my own desire for power. My resentment, my my life has not been as easy as hers seems. My sense of inadequacy, my desire for what she has that a secret part of me wishes that I had. Then Dr. Bondi shares this keen observation. She says, I may wish to love her, may tell myself that I do love her, But I do not see her objectively, whatever I might tell myself. And this distortion caused by envy inhibits my loving her. Envy 
and selfish ambition, James says, are not the way of Christ. Now, we have all probably contended with envy or selfish ambition at one time or another in our life. But James says we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be defeated by that. James says God offers us an alternative, a different way, a different path on which we can travel. In verse 17, he writes, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. James suggests that God is offering us a different way of being in the world. It reminded me of a slogan I heard years ago from anti-war, anti-nuclear folks that said, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. James says, Peace is the way for Christians to go, that we should be a people with pure motives, gentle, peaceable, willing to yield or being flexible, that we should be people of mercy, full of mercy, James says, to these folks is the way that God would have us go, that we would treat everyone, we would love our neighbor as ourselves with each and every one that we encounter. That's the way James is describing the way of Christ. It is the way of peace. He is stressing that our faith should show itself in good works, or what he calls in this passage, good fruits. Remember, he is the one that says faith without works is dead. He wants to see our faith in action. He wants to be able to tell that you are a follower of Christ because you treat other people with peace, with kindness, with mercy, with generosity, with great hospitality. James says we have a choice. We have free will. Reminds me of a story I read years ago that stayed with me. It's about a father who had two sons. The father was a bitter man. He was an alcoholic and a drug addict. He was mean and angry most of the time. Finally, in one of his fits of rage, he went to rob a liquor store, and when the clerk balked, he shot him dead. He was arrested and sent to prison on a life sentence. His two young sons, born less than a year apart, grew up watching their father. When they became teenagers and moved into adulthood, one of them began to make choices that very much mirrored the father. He began to use drugs. He took up a life of crime. He's still stealing and bullying people. Finally, he too comes to the point where he shoots another man trying to kill him. The man survives, but he is arrested and sent to prison. Now, his brother, same father, born 11 months apart, has a very different pathway in life. He stays in school. 
He doesn't use drugs. He doesn't sell drugs. He gets his education. He gets a job. He gets promotions in his job. He meets the love of his life and marries her. They have three children. He continues to get promotions in his company. By all accounts, he's a happy and healthy person. He's a caring and kind and responsible individual. People wondered how being so close in age and growing up in the same environment, they could be so different. Finally, a researcher went and asked them each, why do you think your life turned out the way that it did? And interestingly enough, they gave exactly the same answer. What else could I have become with a father like that? Now, they seem to think it was a sense of destiny. But from afar, as I read the story, I rather thought it was a whole series of decisions across their young lives that led them in dramatically different directions and took them to different places in their lives. James suggests that we have choices to make. Even as followers of Christ, we have choices to make. John Wesley talked about the movements of the grace of God and how God loves us before we know it. He called it prevenient grace, that God is at work for good in our lives before we even know it. Then he talks about justifying grace or that salvation moment, that time where you recognize that God's loving you in Christ and you accept that love and commit to live a life as a follower of Christ. And then he talks about sanctifying grace. After that commitment to be a follower of Christ, what happens with the rest of our lives? And Wesley would agree with James, we have to make choices. God's grace is working in our lives, but we must respond in faith. We must respond as a follower of Christ so that God might do all God wants to do, so God can shape and form us ever more into the image of Christ so that we become who God intends us to be who God needs us to be in the world for more good and more love to come into the world for the common good. As I was reading James, it caused me to think of a story of two disciples who were part of the original 12. They were called the sons of thunder, James and John, sons of Zebedee. They were part of the story that Eva Marie read to us out of Mark in chapter 9 where they're arguing about who is the greatest disciple. And Jesus hears that they are angry with each other and confronts them and calls them together and shares the words that Eva Marie read about the greatest must be the servant of all. The one who wants to be first in the kingdom must choose to be last. So James and John are traveling with Jesus and they're hearing this and yet somehow they're not integrating it because right after that story that she read to us, after a few other stories, Mark tells us that James and John come to Jesus and ask to be at the right and left hand when he comes in his glory. They want to be second in line in power and status and glory, second to nobody except for Jesus how can they hear this teaching? How could they travel and listen to what Jesus is saying and yet not integrate it 
and to their lives. Except that we know that happens to us sometimes too. That we get caught by envy or greed or selfish ambition. And we're pulled off the path that Christ has revealed to us. If you have your Bibles there, flip with me over to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. After where even Marie read that section, there's some other teaching. And then it tells us that Jesus for the third time says to his disciples, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested and condemned and tortured and put to death. And then immediately after that, in chapter 10 of Mark, it says that these sons of thunder, James and John, go to Jesus and say, we want to be the greatest. We want to be right there with you. Put us at your right and left hand. And Jesus says, it's not mine to grant. But then once again, he calls the disciples together to teach them about what this is all about. In verse 42 in chapter 10, it tells us that Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. James is drawing this contrast between those who want glory and those who are here to serve, those who are looking for things just for themselves and those who are looking out for others and for the common good. Jesus offers an alternative to envy and selfish ambition when he talks to his disciples about the power there is, a different kind of power than worldly power that comes through serving others, being the servant of all, he says. Judas sells Jesus out for some money. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure what happens to the other 11, but tradition holds they continued to serve and proclaim the gospel of Christ, eventually all giving their life for the cause of Christ. James puts it, puts it before us this morning, envy or peace? He says we have a choice to make may god's wisdom be our guide as we endeavor to follow the way of christ amen and thanks be to god